1: Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Assistant Sports Editor, Janie Hu, and I'm joined today, as always, by Giants beat writer, Henry Schulman. In today's episode, Henry and I will dive into the nitty-gritty behind the Giants' trade for Evan Longoria and why the hot stove season has suddenly turned cold. Henry, it's been a month since we were last here recording, and we were talking. We named it the Hot Stove Edition. What happened? It's it's kind of turned cold now. The uh, <laughs> the fire's been put out. The a cold stove.
0: The cold stove edition. I didn't pay my gas bill, so that's what that's the problem we have here. All right. Well, well we have this is this has been the most unique off season uh, that I can remember in the years I've covered baseball. Three decades I've covered baseball, and you've had a confluence of events that have kept people. Uh, teams from uh, making trades and filling their teams. Usually by New Year's Day, most teams have done what they call their heavy lifting. And then in January, you just try and fill out some bare spots here and there, like you would on your Christmas tree after you have most of the bulbs and ornaments up. Well, this year, uh, just about all the major free agents uh, are still out there. Uh, the, the trade market has just fizzled, come to a halt. I mean, the Evan Longoria deal to the Giants from Tampa was one of only a, a couple big trades couple three big trades and uh, you know the Giants were involved in two of them sending Matt Moore to Texas as well uh, and you know the the main events uh, first of all we had the uh, Stanton and Otani watch I think that was holding up both markets for a while until we saw where Otani would land the Yankees and what uh, excuse to me the Angels. I'll try that again <laughs> where where Otani would land the Angels and where Stanton would land the Yankees uh, and uh, we all thought that would uh, keep the, get things rolling in the markets, and it hasn't. And what really is happening is that this year, more than any other off season, teams really want to get under the luxury tax uh, threshold, where they would have to pay a luxury tax over 197 million dollars in 2018 payroll. Uh, this is something that the big market teams have always been involved with not the little market teams, but since it's the big market teams, they're the ones who drive the free agent market. And since uh, they they want to make sure they get under the deal, they want to wait these free agents out until their prices come down. And so far, apparently they haven't.
1: Right. We were talking about this before. You know when a team like the free-spending New York Yankees is cognizant about the luxury tax, that it's serious business here.
0: Yeah. I mean, for one thing, the, the luxury tax simply does mean you have to pay more money I mean, if you sign a a $5 million player and you're uh, over the luxury tax barely, then he he becomes a uh, $6 million player because it's a 20% tax. And the, and the worse you get, uh, go up, if you're a repeater, like the Giants are, they've been three times repeat offenders in the, uh, the luxury tax. Well, now everything they sign, every contract they sign has a 50% penalty. So if they sign a $10 million player, he becomes a $15 million player. But the real key here is that next year we're going to have one of the uh, best free agent classes for hitters we've ever seen, headlined by Bryce Harper of the Nationals and Matty Machado, now with the the Orioles. And there's no team that wants to pay, say, 300 to $400 million, uh, maybe $30 million a year for a guy like that, and then have to pay a luxury tax on top of that. So all the repeat offenders want to make sure they're below the tax uh, this year uh, so that they can play next year in the free free agent market. And that that's holding up a lot of things.
1: The repeat offender, how many years does that trigger? So these, these teams are all trying to get under the tax or not go over it this year so that they can be in play next year. They'll still right. have to pay a luxury tax, but the, the percentage is not going to be as high. Is that that's correct?
0: I, exactly. So if, if a team has never been over the luxury tax threshold before, and the threshold changes each year. It goes up because salaries go up. Mm-hmm. If a team has never been under it, uh, they, uh, and, and they go over the tax this year, it's a very modest penalty. It's, it's 20%. Uh, if they go over it any two years in a row, uh, then it, uh, you become a re- repeat offender and uh, it really doesn't matter two, three years, you're just a repeat offender, and now it, it goes up depending on how much uh, over the tax because that's graduated too. There are some cases where a team like the Dodgers, if they hadn't cut their payroll the way they had, they, they were so far over the threshold that they could have paid up to about a 90% penalty. So teams want to get out of the tax this year because then it resets for next year. Uh, And and then if they do sign, if you do sign a Harper and you go over the tax, then the penalty really is much less minimal and you save money.
1: Right. I remember when we were talking about Giancarlo Stanton and where he was going to go and everybody knew that his hometown team was the Dodgers, that that was one of the things that came up, that they really had a case where they were trying to get under the luxury tax. So they weren't going to be all that enthused about taking on even more salary.
0: Well, not only were they not enthused, what the Chronicle learned uh, and, and others had reported as well is that... Uh, the the Dodgers would have been vo- in violation of a... Uh, it's kind of an obscure rule in the collective bargaining agreement, but once a, a new owner of a team has uh, had the team for five years, then you have to meet uh, a ratio of what your debt is compared to what your revenues are. And it's really designed to make sure that teams don't get in over their heads with uh, contracts and, and are unable to make payroll or pay their bills. And the Dodgers would have... Uh, been would have violated that rule and they literally almost couldn't get Stanton. What's interesting is the Dodgers made a very significant trade um, last week or the week before and had they made that trade before Stanton had signed then they might have been able to do the Stanton trade and the trade I'm talking about is the Dodgers sent three basically dead money contracts in Mm -hmm. their their mind. First baseman Adrian Gonzalez pitcher Scott Casimir, and um, pitcher Brandon McCarthy to the Braves in return for Matt Kemp. Uh, The Braves also sent some uh, money along. And and basically, it was a revenue-neutral deal, but because all those three Dodger players were on one-year contracts um, that are expiring, and Kemp still has two years left, they can average his contract for the number. And basically what it means, without getting too technical, is The the Dodgers lost a lot of payroll this year for luxury tax purposes in return for spreading uh, more luxury tax over the next year, whereas the Braves, it didn't matter because they were nowhere near the tax. So now the Dodgers uh, feel they can can go under the tax this year, which would put them in position to go out and get Bryce Harper next year, which uh, everybody believes they're going to make a strong pitch to do.
1: Right. You you mentioned, without getting too technical, I feel like a lot of baseball offseason coverage now is just the nitty-gritty technical aspects of how these deals are going to work, which money is flowing which way, let's bring it back home and talk about the Giants um, making their blockbuster move for Evan Longoria. It was a really complicated deal. Can you help break it down for us?
0: Yeah, just to to bring it down to basics, first of all, the Giants uh, were looking, going into the offseason, offensively to fill three positions third base, center field, and right field, where at the same time they needed middle order bat, some power from maybe two of those three positions. Well, most likely that would be a a corner outfielder and a third baseman. There really aren't that many center fielders out there who uh, have have a lot of pop. They're not generally middle order hitters. So the the Giants actually filled two needs by, by getting Evan Longoria. They filled the need for a third baseman. They got a gold glover. And they also filled the need for a middle-order bat, uh, what you used to be called an RBI guy before you could uh, you know, get thrown into the river for using the term RBI, but a run producer. And uh, the, the deal was actually really interesting because coming on the heels of the deal in which Matt Moore was sent to Texas, uh, that was basically a salary dumping move. And the Giants, in trading for Longoria, also sent Denard Spann to Tampa, that Tampa does not need Denard Span. Tampa does not want Denard Span, But again, the Giants needed to move some payroll so they could try to get under the luxury tax for the first time in four years. So uh, the, the, the deal for Longoria is revenue neutral for this year. The Giants were able to fill basically two needs, a middle-order bat and a third baseman, with one guy without raising their payroll number uh, toward the tax. Now... Ultimately, the Giants are taking on $60 million over five years for a guy who's going to be 32 this year. So who knows what this contract is going to look like in 2022, 2021 rather. The Giants really don't care at this point. The Giants had 98 losses last year. The Giants want to get better this year. They want to compete and contend this year. And right now they're not looking at what twenty. 20 20, 2021 they just feel that evan longoria makes them better now and he does
1: right um you just mentioned it he's 32 years old it would probably be realistic to say that his best years are behind him what what are what would you expect out of him um for next season
0: well, he's had, uh, he had kind of a down year last year, and I talked to Matt Duffy, who used to be the Giants' third baseman, and who was Longoria's teammate last year. He felt that Longoria struggled early on because of uh, injuries, and if you actually look at the numbers, Longoria had a, a good middle of the season. I think realistically what you can expect from Longoria now, maybe not 20 home runs, maybe 18, uh, which is a, a lot more than they got out of third base last year. You know, 17, 18 home runs. Uh Maybe a 275 average, and if they get anything over that, it's a bonus. And, and a guy who can catch the ball, and this has been an important year offseason for the Giants in terms of improving their defense. And with Longoria, you could argue that the Giants and the Angels now may have the best defensive infields in, in baseball. Now they have to shore up the defense in the outfield, and that's why they're looking for a rabbit to play center field. But right now, I mean, with Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria on that side of the infield, and Longoria, even at 32, still a very good defensive third baseman. It's going to be very hard for Balls to get through that hole if it gets close to any one of those two guys.
1: Let's talk about the flip side of that equation, the outfield. You, We were chatting earlier, and you said you had a spidey sense that, that a few more deals might trickle through here before the end of the year or in, into, into early um, next year. The... Giants outfield is a pretty big question mark right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the big question mark because basically they have two out of three uh, spots unfilled, and the third spot that is filled is Hunter Pence, who they already said is going to have to become more of a role player in 2018. So they need to get a bona fide center fielder and right fielder. Uh, we, we know that they have talked uh, to Jay Bruce, although uh, Bruce, who would be the right fielder, is... May not he's not a great defensive right fielder, uh, but he does have a little sock. Even from the left side, he's hit well at AT and T Park. I don't know that he was a front burner guy, but they have talked about him in center. They've been talking for weeks to the Reds about Billy Hamilton. Uh, but um, as my friend John Morosi reported last week, the Reds have asked for the Giants' best prospect, uh, Elliot Ramos, who's an 18 year old uh, who is a switch hitter and can hit and can uh, you know pound the ball. Uh, and ultimately could be a great major league player. And if I were the Reds, I would ask for Ramos. If I were any team, I would ask for Ramos. Uh, so it's, it's a blinking game. Same with Andrew McCutcheon, whom the Giants are interested in. Now there are a couple of free agent options that would be shorter term, not as much money, with the assumption that uh, their prospect, Steven Duggar, maybe before this year is over, can uh, come up and show that he belongs in center. Uh, Guys like Gerard Dyson, who is older but is still a good uh, center fielder, uh, and and maybe a a guy like Austin Jackson, again older but can still play center. Uh, But you're not talking about huge free agent deals. So really the Giants have, as Sabian likes to say, are juggling all those balls. And really I think like all teams right now that are trying to improve, uh, they're waiting for prices to come down, which they expect they will as we get closer to spring training.
1: Ramos was a guy that the Giants d- don't want to include in in a deal. Um, one guy that they were willing to give up was Christian Arroyo. Um, he was touted for a while as the Giants' top prospect. Um, what what did you see from him in his time with the big league team? Last year, and and what what do you project out into his future?
0: Well, I, I thought I still thought he was a good prospect. Uh, he uh, he came up and he he clearly showed he can hit the fastball. He's not uh, not blown away by the fastball uh, for a guy uh, his size. He I mean he had incredible pop. Uh, we saw that with some of the home run the home runs he hit, and um, uh, the biggest issue with him was was the plate awareness, uh, pitch awareness. I mean, once pitchers started to figure out. That you could throw breaking pitch away uh he he couldn't hit it and he couldn't lay off it as uh, gina davis uh, said in that movie um and uh you know he was he was just uh, owned by major league pitching so really they had just sent him down to the minors to take a deep breath to sort of get back to the basics of hitting and then it never happened for him because he uh, got hit by one pitch then got hit by another pitch and it broke his hand I still think he's a, a valuable prospect. I think he's been passed in the Giants' system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really the Rays uh, were not going to give up their franchise player, one of their uh, their their cornerstones since the uh, organization was founded, a popular player like that uh, who can still hit the ball out of the ballpark and play gold glove defense. They weren't going to give a player like that away for just a middling prospect. So uh, you have to give up something to get something, but clearly the Giants – felt that uh, with uh, Longoria at least still able to hit well for the next couple of years, they could afford to lose uh, Arroyo.
1: Right. So we're recording this on December 28th, um, and the big news of the day in the baseball uh, and and larger world, in a sense, um, was that uh, we had a uh, freelance photographer who uh, uh, worked at Minnesota Twins games accusing Miguel Sano of sexual um, assault, and I think um the Chronicle broke a story uh lat- late last night about Charlie Hollowell a very respected East Bay uh restaurateur um 17 women accusing him of sexual harassment so obviously this me too movement has been um, growing in fervor across the country, and now Major League Baseball finds itself in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, and I would expect that Major League Baseball, as they saw the Me Too movement progress, had to know that something like this was going to come out, because pretty much every institution that is male-dominated with people uh, with of wealth and power, there have been these uh, stories that have come out, credible stories, and uh, I mean, this this photographer had uh, very specific information uh, about what happened to her uh, at the mall with Miguel Sano, and uh, she uh, she told those things contemporaneously to uh, friends and relatives, which is an important aspect to any kind of accusation like this. So I think baseball was had to have been girding for this, and they instantly said they're going to investigate it. Sano has denied. The allegation in the statement his people release uh, unequivocally, uh, and uh, you know baseball, uh, like like any sport or any institution, has to take it seriously. Uh, they uh, maybe uh, uh, they're a little ahead of the game. Maybe all sports are a little ahead of the game compared to some private industries like restaurants, for instance, because they have had to come to grips with the issue of domestic violence uh, in in sports, and uh, it started with the uh, NFL, which had a, a few. Uh, high-profile inc- incidents, and then baseball uh, realized that it it did not have a policy, uh, effective policy, and, and now there have been players who have been suspended uh, for uh, domestic violence, whether or not they were convicted of any kind of crime, even if there has been no crime, uh, no charges filed. There have been some uh, cases. Jose Reyes is, is one uh, who allegedly pushed his wife in a, into a window in uh Hawaii, she wouldn't press charges, uh, and uh, baseball did its own investigation and decided to spend, uh, suspend them for half a year anyway, and um, I, I think that uh, they understand that they need to be in the forefront as a, uh, as a huge industry that's very popular, that is completely male-dominated on this, and if they feel that there are credible uh, accounts of sexual assault or sexual harassment they're going to have to move fast, and I have no doubt that Miguel Sano will be suspended if these accusations by the twins' former photographer uh, are deemed to be true.
1: Are you checking your calendar yet? Six weeks away from spring training?
0: Just about six and a half weeks uh, until we head out. And uh, the fan fest is going to be the Saturday uh, before spring training, so I believe that's the 10th of uh, February. Uh, so that's that, all of that is coming up real quickly, and that makes it really all the more interesting that the Giants don't have a team yet.
1: <laughs> Fairly incomplete. I'm sure we'll sit down with you uh, in the coming weeks as they start to fill these holes uh, heading into spring training. Um, it'll make spring training a lot more interesting to cover.
0: Yeah, and I do believe that. Uh, I mean, the fans are very anxious. Uh, why don't the Giants do something? Why are they just sitting on their hands? Well, everybody's sitting on their hands. I'm sure they're going to go to spring training with a right fielder and a center fielder they don't have now and maybe even another bullpen arm and maybe, maybe a back-end veteran starter.
1: You can't, when you're coming off a 98-loss season, there's nowhere to go but up, we hope.
0: Uh, Well, you could just tear the whole thing down like the Cubs and Astros did and go down for a couple more years, but uh, uh, the Giants like their season ticket money too much and they ain't going to do that.
1: All right, thanks for joining us this week, Henry, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay. show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Giants coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Janie underscore who J-A-N-N-Y underscore H-U and Henry Schulman at Hank Schulman H-A-N-K S-H-U C-H-U-L-M-A-N Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com